Hi, I'm Brittany Hoffman. And I'm Madeline Phipps. Welcome to Shifting Ears. This is the Valley Metro internal podcast talking all things transit, transportation, and everything you need to know about the agency behind the scenes and some upfront stuff you may not know about. Hey, Maddie. Hey, Brittany. Do you know we're going to start something new on Shifting Ears? (gasps) Tell me more. We're going to start a segment, or I should say a podcast episode series, of Know Your Metro. So we get to know people from each of the different departments at Valley Metro. That way we can learn more about what our colleagues do, how their job impacts our jobs, as well as others around the agency. Doesn't that sound fun? Yes. Such a great idea because I feel like we're always saying this agency is so big and does so many things. And there are so many people here that do really interesting things that I would just be clueless about how to do if it was my day-to-day job. So I am really looking forward to this new series. For this episode, to kick it off, we're going to start with our maintenance of way team. And let me tell you, some of these stories, I was very surprised about what they do and definitely gave me more of an appreciation for how they get their job done day in and day out. Absolutely. I think you'll be very impressed when you hear from both of our guests today describing just everything that they're responsible for taking care of when it comes to our rail system and even a little bit beyond our rail system too. So buckle up and stay tuned as we hear from our first guest. I'm Rick White. I'm the manager of the maintenance away department and I've been here since August of 2008. So you came on right before light rail opened, basically. Yep. Just a few months before we opened the doors, I think they decided to bring it in-house at the 11th hour. And I got interviewed and came down here twice for two different interviews because at that time there's two different bosses. And I wanted to make sure I was going to be able to work with whichever one was going to be mine. So could you explain kind of the scope of your position for people who don't know what maintenance of way actually means? I'm over the signals, communications, traction power, track, and the SCADA departments. So we always say everything other than the train and then your building facilities basically all goes through us. It's a lot. Can you walk us through a regular day in the life for you? A lot of meetings dealing with AConnex with all the new projects, you know, South Central, Northwest, streetcar, just got over it. But Cap I-10, we would do that. And then day-to-day things for operations of our department, just a resource for all the supervisors and the hourly people that have issues and concerns that come up throughout the day. Probably 60 to 70% of your thing is all with staff and not so much of just coming and doing your job, but responsible for the budget of the maintenance way department. Go out on accidents and stuff when we do have accidents or fatalities along the alignment, looking at Anything along the alignment that's out of the norm, like an example would be right now is there at First Avenue in Washington, we have a broken rail. So I go up there every day and check it. I have people that go up and look at it every day, but I also go up there and look at it because the last thing I want to do is put a train on the ground. We're responsible for taking care of your stray current testing that happens annually, non-destructive rail testing that's going on right now this week. And then I'll make sure we're, you know, meeting all the federal guidelines for inspections and stuff for the signaling department. Okay, that's a lot of work and a lot of responsibility to be thinking about every day. Mm. But I'm guessing things are different now than they were. And I guess it would be almost 15 years ago that you started. So how has your job changed since you started working here? 
Okay, when I first got hired here, I was to be over the signal department only as a supervisor. And they asked me if I could do the comms. And I said, I've never done comms before. And they said, oh, it's just the variable message boards. And I said, well, I think I could figure that out. And then found out that that also included all the cameras, ECBs, you know, emergency call boxes, the SCADA department, which is way above my skill set. Luckily, I have two people there that basically run it. So I have a lot of trust in them. Then they let go of the maintenance way manager at the time. And then they about probably two years into it, they gave me traction power. And then the track guy left not too long after that, and they gave me track. And then after that, they decided, well, you're doing all the functions as the maintenance away manager used to do. So they basically gave me the maintenance away position. The only thing they took out is they took facilities away from that department and gave that to Derek Broder. But it's changed quite a bit. Some days I kind of wish it was just back to the signals thing. Because that was my forte before I came here was more signals and traction power. But it's been a huge learning curve going through all the inception of the light rail first coming to the city all the way to where it is now. Well, that leads us right into our next question, because streetcar is brand new to us and now it's up and running. So how has your job changed since streetcars come on board? The biggest challenge we have with streetcar is the signaling thing is the exact same. It doesn't matter. A switch is a switch is a switch. You know, it still has to be inspected the same. The biggest challenges that I have is in the traction power department because it's a single wire, contact wire that it runs off of. There is no messenger wire like you have in a traditional catenary system. Usually if a dump truck or something comes through and hits a contact wire on a traditional catenary system, you still have the messenger wire to help support it. You don't have that on streetcar. So if something goes through and tears it down, it's coming to the ground, which means a lot quicker response and trying to get it, you know, more downtime, but a lot more hours to try to get it back up and running. You have all the span wires that hold it. So I'm always worried about cars and stuff going down the road. That's not even going underneath the cantonary, but underneath the span wires and runs a risk. So of course we can run on batteries with that train, but can't run on it forever. So we still need the cantonary or part of it. So that's probably the biggest challenge with it coming in. So speaking of another challenge, I know something that comes up a lot for our riders is the TVMs having issues kind of system-wide. So do you know off the top of your head how many TVMs we have on the light rail system? There's 119 on the LRT alignment. There are 11 on the old BRT alignment that went down through Chandler and into Gilbert and came back up through Mesa. Yes. That's, that's most of my work is right there is TVMs. So what are the biggest challenges in maintaining them right now? A few years back, we went out to bid for a new fare collection system. It was supposed to be in, I believe, the beginning of this year. So we started phasing out our old parts and stock that we had in the storeroom, planning on, you know, by January 1st this year, we'd be moving in because a lot of the stuff is no longer available to buy. And so what we have found out is about, I don't know, probably four months before we thought the new TVMs were coming in, we were told they were pushed out a year, which means now we have to try to get with Scheidt Bachman, which is our current TVM supplier. A lot of stuff is no longer able to get. So we've been reaching out. The biggest thing is we can't find the banknote acceptors, which is your bill acceptors. Those are outdated. Can't get them. We're actually working with another transit agency, Seattle, which has taken out some of their machines and all that and funny story is we actually went on to a auction site to buy tvms 
there so that we could have some spare parts. And now I bought anywhere machines from anywhere from a dollar to three hundred and some dollars for eight machines. Brought those in, stripped those because they have the exact same banknote acceptors and stuff. And actually now I'm working with Seattle directly on some of the stuff they pulled out and they're trying to find stuff for us. So like the credit card readers are hard to get. The MKVs, which is the ticket printing thing, hard to get from Scheit Bachman. Banknote acceptors, which is the other one. So those are the three big issues. We did have a small problem when the latest version of TVMs that we bought had a different credit card reader. Well, that company was outsourcing it and they couldn't get them back to us and when we got them back they didn't work and so we went round and round with that trying to get them luckily right before super bowl we finally got some back in got all the tvms back up taking credit debit so yeah it's a huge nightmare trying to get it when you think that you're scheduling for like the first of 2023 to be done and out with the new ones in and then told we got to go another year and a half and knowing that it's going to be a struggle for a year and a half well definitely a big whatever it takes moment for you and your team to figure out all the different ways to get these different components to keep us up and running. Because I know it's very important, even though we have Mobile Fair ready and available, this is still a huge component of the system. Yep. And I would just add to that is what you were saying. My staff has worked super hard on fixing things in our lab, you know, taking broken parts and mixing, matching it to get a good piece of equipment up. And then they're out there every day trying to do their regular jobs along taking care of all these TVMs that are breaking down. So a lot of it goes out to the staff that works for me that that gets a lot of that done. Well, now that we've talked about the old machines, can you guys give us some inside scoop on the new machines that we are expecting? I can't give you a lot of insight. I know that they're scheduled to come out in hopefully by the end of this year, early 2024. They're made by a company called VIX. They'll have a touchscreen instead of the regular push buttons, which hopefully they'll work in our climate. I know that they've borrowed some air conditioners from us to see if they could convert them or whatever to help with the air conditioning load it takes to keep them cool. Great. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I feel like you've given us a lot of great information. Is there anything else you'd like to add or share kind of about your day-to-day work? I think the biggest thing is is we try to stay to the federal railroad standards when it comes to our signaling thing and all that. And that takes a lot of manpower to make sure switches are inspected, catenaries inspected in a timely fashion and that make it as safe as possible for our riders. As someone who works on the FAIR project, I am very excited for the advancements of our new TVMs coming on the system. I think it's going to be a huge improvement to riders, and I'm very excited for all of our technological advances coming. Me too, and I can certainly imagine that Rick feels the same way. Mm-hmm. So speaking of maintenance in our rail stations, our next guest has also been here since 2008, but he wanted us to make sure and tell you that he started just a little bit before Rick did. So without further ado, let's kick it off to our next interview. My name is Derek Broder. I'm the facilities maintenance manager for Valley Metro. I started August 11th, 2008, so it'll be going on 15 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Can you explain the scope of your position as facilities maintenance manager? Sure. So we are responsible for inspections, preventive maintenance, and corrective maintenance for a few different areas. The facilities maintenance, so the actual buildings at both the MBOM and OMC Operations and Maintenance Center, as well as the 
passenger stations and traction power substations, operator facilities, and security buildings out along the alignment. Also in those same areas, we're responsible for landscape maintenance, cleaning maintenance, and then we also take care of the agency non-revenue vehicles and equipment. So with those two together, it's about 130 pieces of equipment. About 120 of those are actual vehicles, anything from sedans to SUVs to pickup trucks to the larger heavy vehicles that have buckets and cranes on them. And then when we have the 19, 20 pieces of equipment, we're talking about like inspection carts for the overhead catenary system, rolling generators to provide emergency power at the signal buildings, visual boards to keep our workers safe if we have to close down a lane to work next to a station. And all the different areas that we maintain, we have about, again, I said the OMC and MBOM, but we've got 43 passenger stations, 24 traction power substations, 17 signal buildings, 10 support facilities, which are the operator facility and security buildings. We've got about nine park and rides, which total for buildings and passenger stations, about 646,000 square feet of space that we maintain. And then the grounds that we maintain for cleaning and, and landscape maintenance is about 5.8 million square feet of area. So in total, we're looking at about 6.5 million square feet of area that we have to maintain in a state of good repair and keep clean. It's a good amount. Yeah, that's a lot. I'm just thinking, I mean, compared to our service area, that's even a huge chunk of our service area that you're technically responsible for <laughs> keeping an eye on and making sure it's working. Yeah, yep. It's a lot of work. We've got a good crew to take care of it. There's definitely a couple different lenses you have to look at it through is we have two customers and we have our paying passenger customers and then we have our coworkers that work in and around these facilities that we maintain these locations for as well. So with all of those different properties and different kinds of properties, you probably don't have a typical day, but could you give us an example of some of the things that you do in a day of work? Yeah, you're exactly right. We don't really have typical days because there's so many things that happen on any given day that we have to react to. We have standard maintenance that we have to act on for any one of those areas or pieces of equipment that I mentioned. They could be weekly, monthly, quarterly or semi-annual inspections or PM. So that stuff's pretty standard. Those are on a cycle that we normally go through. But yeah, you're right. I mean, at any given day, we could deal with an accident where a car crashes into either one of our facilities or railing along the alignment or a passenger station. We've got tree issues that we need to trim, especially in the summer. We have issues with, we're constantly chasing HVAC issues and water fountain issues. I think a lot of people don't realize it, but we have a little bit over 300 air conditioning units that we maintain throughout all those facilities as well. And during the summer, when it's 115 degrees, it's pretty much all hands are dealing with air conditioning issues. So that keeps us busy for sure. Well, and to your point, you're serving the customer as our employees. We want to make sure that they're definitely staying cool. So yeah, that is a lot to be overseeing. But over the past 15 years, how has your department changed? It's definitely grown. As the agency has grown as a whole, our department has had to evolve and grow along with it. As we have the extensions, as we start to bring those online, they bring more areas, more facilities, and more pieces of equipment that we have to maintain and that we're responsible for, as well as more materials 
that come in that we have to maintain and inventory to keep those systems up and running. And then as we talked about the non-revenue vehicles, more area to cover means more vehicles. That's how we've grown to that, having about 110 or 120 so non-revenue vehicles that we maintain. We've grown tremendously. It's been really fun to watch from just the initial CPEV to where all the different extensions have come online and then looking further out to the extensions that are in our immediate future and then further out and how we'll grow when those come online as well. When I first started 15 years ago, it was me in the department. Since then, yeah, and I, I did that for a long time and it, I was never bored, I'll tell you that much. Since then, we've got to where we have 10 Valley Metro staff and now instead of me trying to perform oversight of all of these landscape and cleaning and facilities maintenance, non-revenue and materials, we have dedicated people who oversee those areas now. It's definitely been an advancement in our department, and it's really helped us to grow, certainly. Our contracting staff for facilities maintenance has grown as well. They started off with three in the original alignment. There's nine of them now. So what are the biggest challenges in maintaining all the station platforms? By far, it's keeping them clean. We have open access stations. We don't have fare barriers. So we do have an element of folk who are on the station, not necessarily to ride the system, but, you know, to get on station, take a drink of water or catch some shade and catch some seat. And a lot of time it's those folks that don't necessarily worry about keeping them as clean as we would hope they would. One of the biggest issues by far is the pavers. We do see a lot of spills on the pavers and they stain. We have pressure washing that occurs where we try to pressure wash each station once per week. That's a challenge. There are things that prevent that sometimes. Occasionally there's testing from different departments within Valley Metro where we can't access the station or it would prevent us from pressure washing. But even pressure washing in itself creates another challenge is the pavers. As the more you pressure wash and the closer you get the pressure wash wand to the pavers to try and keep them as clean as possible, you displace the underbed sand underneath them, which causes unleveling of the pavers. So then we're chasing these issues along the alignment leveling pavers. So, you know, it's that saying you cause one problem while you're trying to take care of another one. We kind of run in circles with that a little bit, but I would say those two are by far the most difficult. We have seen many stations be revitalized with new paint across the original alignment. When is that expected to be completed? I'd say we're probably three to four years out from completing that. We're somewhere in the neighborhood of halfway. I don't know the exact numbers now off the top of my head of how many we have painted, but I believe we're somewhere in the neighborhood of halfway. That task has definitely changed from when we started four or five years ago to now. Costs have increased exponentially, which is a little bit of a challenge for us to overcome in budgeting. There are other issues where you change from one contractor to another. Once that one contractor gets familiar with what they're doing, they paint a few passenger stations. And then through our procurement standards, we will bring in another contractor to utilize them. And there's a learning curve that kind of slows that down a little bit. But overall, it's going along pretty good. Painting the passenger station is an interesting thing because when I tell people it takes two to three months to paint a passenger station, they seem to be shocked. But I don't think they put it into perspective because most people, their mind tells them they're painting a wall in their house or they're painting the exterior of their house and I could have it done in a week, right? Well, you also don't have you know, 800 volts of energy that's 10 feet away that you need to worry about that you have to shut off to paint up high or you have trains running in both directions where you can only do certain work when those trains are running and then you can actually only paint when the trains are not running, which closes that window down to four hours a night or so in a passenger station. So it's fun getting it done and watching the system eventually get all repainted, but it's a lot of work, that's for sure. 
So what is the most surprising or unique thing that your team has ever been responsible for fixing? Something that probably a lot of people don't realize that we do, which is we actually do deal with a significant amount of bee issues. When I first started this position, Valley Metro was just exterminating bee colonies as they found them. You know, bees are very important. So I did some research and I found a place that actually does live bee removal. So instead of exterminating them, this company comes in and they actually collect all of the bees or, you know, you're not going to be able to collect all of them, of course, but they collect as many of them as they can. It probably save somewhere in the neighborhood of 200,000 bees a year, I would say. It's interesting and it's important, you know, because we have bees that set up camp in our trees and our passenger stations. They set up camp in our bushes and our park and rides and trees in our park and rides. But the most common places in irrigation box in the ground, because it's dark and it's damp, we've seen them where they've taken the irrigation box off and the entire irrigation box, we're talking two feet long by a foot wide, is nothing but honeycomb all the way in there. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's kind of cool to see. And it's, you know, actually, it's actually more cool to be part of keeping them alive rather than causing the problem. So we're pretty proud of that, actually. We've gone through all of our questions. Is there anything else you'd like to add to let people know this is all the things I do? I had a full-blown bee attack doing that one time. I got stung like 50 times. Yeah, out at Price and Apache. Yeah, it, it was one of the scaredest I've ever been. And shame on me. I got a little complacent. I knew to stay farther away than I was. The guy who does it, his name is Jeff, and he's just done it his whole life. He could get stung a hundred times and he probably wouldn't even know it, right? But he was in his bee suit and he was dealing with an irrigation box between some bushes and we're on the east end of the Price Passenger Station where as it, the tracks, one enters going west and the other one leaves going east, it goes to a V, right? And I was standing in there and I had to stay somewhat close because I had to flag to make sure that he didn't walk into the path of a train or whatever. And I was probably standing too close because once he started vacuuming them up, they get up real agitated. And he came over and he's talking to me, explaining something. And one stung me right on my right eyelid, right under my eyebrow. And I reached up and I kind of mashed it. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, no. And I was thinking, oh, no, what? And then it was instantaneous. They were all over me because when they sting, they release that pheromone, which tells them this is the threat. Here it is. And it was instantaneous. I could feel him stinging me and bouncing off my head. And so he unzipped his bee coat and threw it over me and zipped it up. And I had like five or six bees flying around inside the coat. So I was trying to reach and, you know, kind of mash them while it was in there. And then he ran across the street and got another bee suit and threw it on and then came over. And when it was happening, I couldn't do anything, but I put my head down and I had my hat on and I was just using my hat to swat away from my face. And I was walking and I didn't even remember which direction I was walking in because there were so many of them. After he got the suit on me, we went back to work. He's like, are you right? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then I had him go back to work and I was watching for trains. And for about 15 minutes, I didn't really feel anything. But then after that 15 minutes, I think my adrenaline wore off and I had a pounding headache for about a week. I came back and told one of my guys, I walked in the door at the MOW and I just walked right into his cube and I said, order two B suits right now, please, because I'm never going through that again. Oh my goodness. So with that being said, we wear B suits now. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I was going to say, that's definitely a unique piece of equipment that I don't think we would have thought maintenance of way would have. Yeah. Oh, we do now. In my opinion, one of our most important pieces of equipment. <laughs> Maddie, I think this episode will really have people buzzing around the office now. 
talking about Know Your Metro, and hopefully we get lots of requests for different departments to find out what other people do in the agency. I think you're right, Brittany. You know what's funny? Speaking of bees, one of our most popular posts on social media featured a beehive in a tree right next to one of our light rail stations. I don't know why that just captivated people's imagination, but I guess we should have been bringing out more of this bee content a lot sooner. (laughs) Most definitely, Maddie. I think next time Derek goes out in his bee suit, we're definitely going to have to join him so we can get more bee content on our social media platforms. Maddie, there's one more announcement that we need to make before the episode ends. I'm very excited for this new series that's kicking off on the podcast, and... I'm also excited because I will be joining in on the other side as a listener of Shifting Ears because this is actually my last episode as a host of the podcast. I'm moving on from Valley Metro, but it's been an amazing ride and I'm a little bummed now that this is episode 43 that I'm ending on such a random number and not like 50 or something nice like that. Maddie, you will definitely be missed. And thank you for giving your outro because I don't know if I could have done it without crying. You have been a fabulous co-host through the past 43 episodes and I don't know if anyone will make it that much longer with me. So congrats on that in itself. But as always, you're always welcome back. I mean, we'll never kick you out for sure. But we wish her well. We wish Maddie well as she goes on to her next adventure and we know she'll be still riding transit. Absolutely. You can certainly count on me to download the podcast episodes. At least we have one listener guaranteed. Make sure you're (laughs) listening too and tell all your friends. If you want your department featured on the new series, Know Your Metro, for the Shifting Ears podcast, email us at podcast at valleymetro.org. And for the last time, for Valley Metro, I'm Madeline. I'm Brittany. Thanks for riding with us. We'll meet you at the next stop. Shifting Ears is produced by Alex Sosos. Peter Corkery is the executive producer. I'm Brittany Hoffman with Madeline Phipps. Thanks for listening.